are listening to a podcast from The National. According to Carl Jung, there is no such thing as a coincidence. The psychologist gave the concept a name, synchronicity, the idea of meaningful coincidence. I am a believer in this, which is why when I have unrelated and unprompted conversations with different people about the same subject, it makes me pay closer attention. In the last few weeks, I've been hearing chatter about investing in Africa from several sources. It got me thinking about how Africa rising was a big theme about six or seven years ago, sparked by a belief that economic growth on the continent was about to take off. Of course, it did pick up, but it has not been a smooth or linear trajectory. So now when it feels like investors in the UAE and wider Gulf region will soon be feverishly talking about Africa again, I wanted to find out what the real story is. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, the National's Assistant Editor-in-Chief, and this is the Business Extra podcast from our newsroom in Abu Dhabi. This episode is about how to invest in Africa. In recent months, there have been a number of private equity deals and other acquisitions in Africa by Gulf investors. These back up the idea that the continent is in vogue again. But despite there being many fast-growing economies on the continent, the IMF is not forecasting a surge in growth for the bigger economies like Nigeria and South Africa. There's also been some political upheaval of late, recent elections and parliamentary crises, for example. To get some insight into the lay of the land, I spoke with Atik Anjawala, the managing partner of Anjawala Collins and Haida Mota. Based in Dubai, the firm has a presence in a number of countries in Africa and services Gulf clients doing business there. Mr. Anjawala told me that there is quite a lot of nuance involved when approaching Africa as an outside investor. So, Atik, you're you're very experienced uh, in terms of African investments and the different markets. It's quite nuanced when it comes to looking at the continent. It's not one size fits all. Uh, There are many different countries, many different markets, and many different uh, stories going on. When you're you're servicing clients and giving them advice and and helping them out with their investments, uh, is that what you found as well? Um, Yeah, Mustafa, I think that's that's, uh, right, and it's... uh certainly a critical point. Um, people far away uh, tend to view Africa as one trading block, uh, but actually it's 54 countries, uh, each with a very different history, um, often colored by its colonial history, uh, which means that um, in terms of language, in terms of ways to do business, culture, food, um, legal system, uh, they're very different. Um, and because of I guess Africa's history, if you take East Africa itself, uh, and I am from Kenya, that's, that, that's home for me, although I'm currently living in Dubai, um, you have countries in, in, in the East African region uh, which were colonized by the Germans, the British, the French, the Belgians. Uh, and when you look at that history, you will therefore see why countries that are sort of neighboring each other are very different. Um, and I think any businessman who enters... Um, Africa without fully appreciating the, the significant differences between these countries um, does so at his peril. Um, in the recent past, it has been helped by a number of the African countries entering into trading blocks. So you have Comesa, Islam Community, SADAC, and others, um, which of course has helped in terms of uh, easing trade. But the overall picture still remains the same, that you, know, you need to understand the cultural nuances, you need to understand the different legal systems, language and ways of doing business before you enter any particular country. 
Um, and even if you're going to go cross-border, then critical that you, you, you understand these differences. And, um, you know, if you don't, uh, as I said earlier, uh, you, you, you will face problems. And, and which, which markets are doing best at the moment? I think, it, I think in terms of overall, um, overall trade, there are countries in West Africa um, and East Africa that are, are, are still progressing well, by and large. So these tend to be the countries that are um, not affected by the commodity downturn, and certainly those countries where commodities play a significant part in terms of GDP. So if you take countries like Angola, if you take countries like uh, Nigeria, you know, b- because large amounts of their or substantial amounts of their GDP is based on oil, uh, then the downturn in the oil price has caused significant problems economically. Uh, shortage of hard currency and the ability of government to finance itself and finance infrastructure and trade. Um, but those countries that have a more diverse economy, uh, many of the countries in East Africa are a good example, like Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania. Um, in, on, on the West, uh, you have Ivory Coast, Senegal, countries like this. So those that were not dependent upon one or, or, or a few commodities um, have fared much better. And continue to uh, continue to uh, have significant growth. So you're talking of sort of growth between five to seven to eight percent, depending on which country uh, you're looking at. I should also say, of course, that some of the North African countries are also are doing well, um, not notwithstanding some of the uh, political turbulence. So Morocco is a very good example, and that's an exa- an exa- a further example of a sort of strong economy in North Africa now looking to Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, so you're seeing strong trade flows uh, directed by government from from um, Morocco uh, uh, and, and Egypt, by the way, into you know into into certainly East Africa and beyond and, and West Africa as well. Uh, so those are other interesting developments in terms of inter inter Africa trade. And there's so many bright spots, but essentially there are also short term you know dips and downs you mentioned one of the the issues for for say the the commodities focused countries like Nigeria they've had a dip on the sliding commodity prices they're not the only ones i mean many african countries zambia for example connected to metals um but also we we have political upheaval so you know recent elections in kenya uh, for example there there was there was some bumpiness after that um rwanda had elections too and then in south africa there seems to be this ongoing political crisis, if you like. Um, and, I mean, that must affect the outlook, uh, particularly in, in sort of the, the short to medium term. So do you, do you, must you always be uh, sort of have long-term horizons when it comes, comes to African markets, even the fast-growing ones like Kenya? Uh, I think that's, I mean, overall the answer is probably yes. But I think what you'll find is, um, so I'm from Kenya and I was actually there at the time of the election. And like many of these um, issues that happen internationally, when you're far away, uh, you, you know, you view stuff slightly differently from when you're on the ground. So um, based on our political history, we've actually had quite a smooth election. Um, you know, we had international observers there. So John Kerry was the lead observer, the ex-U.S. Secretary for State, mm-hmm. and he gave the election a clean bill of health. And what is interesting is that the opposition you know, has raised issues about the, uh, the, the correctness of the election, and have, have made allegations of manipulation, but they've decided to go to court. Um, so, you know, where, say, 15, 20 years ago, they may have been, and we've certainly had that with Kenya, you, you can't deny it, uh, sort of difficult politics with violence. Um, a lot of these countries are now maturing, and even 
the rank and file in terms of Kenyans will not simply accept, you know, any politician now who decides or demands people go into the street and cause mayhem. So um, as of, I think, two days ago, the opposition filed a petition in court, and that's fine. We have a legal system, and you follow the legal system. And I think that would have given, and I know it has actually given investors um, a lot of relief uh, because, you know, in many countries you see complicated politics. Uh, we're seeing that now, for example, with the U.S. But as long as you follow the, the rules, by and large, you know, that, that gives investors a lot of comfort. So what, what certainly we are seeing um, that, yes, you certainly price your African investments higher because of political risk, whether real or perceived. And I think that's an important point to make because, I think people who are hardened African investors may not view political risk as as uh, such a big issue as maybe some of those who are entering the market for the first time. They'll see other risks like exchange rates and um, you know and, and shortage of currency, perhaps as bigger risks than political risk. You know, we are very active, for, for, you know, in the private equity space. And and if you look at some of the large African dedicated private equity groups. Um, you know, they, they, they are able to raise money in Western Europe and the Americas fairly easily. Uh, and these are quite substantial uh, private equity funds, at least for the African markets. And they're able to deploy their capital relatively well with making actually quite exciting re- returns in most cases. Of course, there are exceptions to every rule. Um, and again, the, 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 you know, for them, as I said, uh, you know, they, they have priced political risk. It's the other factors that worry them more, and um, you know they, they again if you if you're seasoned, you know how to hedge yourself against those risks as well um, so for me, I think a big factor which which is which is I think dawning on people slowly but surely is that um, the rule of law and I think this is a critical piece that people tend to forget that by and large the rule of law uh, and i'm you know and I am caveating my comments to saying that it's not a universal statement, but by and large the rule of law, the recognition of property rights, the ability for you to, um, you know, take legal action and, and, and preserve your property rights is being recognized more and more. So the days when 15, 20 years ago that, um, you know, the government in power or a president would just cancel your rights are now, are now being, being challenged and don't exist. Uh, we are seeing in Tanzania where, where um, there's a challenge now against the mining companies, uh, which is quite a, which is quite an unfortunate development. Um, but what is happening there is that the mining companies, are, you know, will will I'm sure commence proceedings, legal proceedings against the government, knowing that uh, they will probably be able to claim make substantial claims if the government don't change their mind. And I think by and large, governments realise that, so they're very careful before they try and cancel contracts or take away people's property rights. And as I said. 54 countries, so, you, you know, it's difficult to generalize, but the overall theme is, is a positive one. Um, and that, of course, gives investors comfort when they know that if they make an investment in, in a far and distant land, um, you know, their rights and investments will be, will, will be recognized. And uh, some of the biggest investors out there have, have had a mixed, mixed set of results in, in Africa, um, including from the Gulf. There have been this year some notable um, experiences where investments didn't perhaps go to plan, um, but that hasn't stopped there being more deals either. 
um, particularly because certain aspects of, of, of the markets and the economy, particularly um, what related to the rise of the consumer market, um, are exciting some people. However, um, from your point of view, you, you've got, again, a very good vantage point of the kind of investment that's coming in. I mean, what are the sectors that, that seem to be most exciting people? Um, again, I think you've got to break this up depending on which countries you're looking at. Uh, but in terms, and in order of priority, I think the big, the big areas are infrastructure. It's recognized that the, the continent lacks far behind um, in infrastructure. So that's certainly an area that you see the Chinese, um, the Japanese, now the South Koreans, um, and of course um, uh, Europe, and to, to a lesser extent um, the U.S. looking into infrastructure. So this is roads, um, bridges, uh, railways, so on and so forth. Um, energy is another is another big area. So there's there's a there's a massive gap in uh, energy requirements for industrialization. Uh, again, you know our law firm is very busy on the energy side. Um, that and that certainly we are seeing that as being you know a, a, a long-term growth for sure. Um, Financial services, insurance, and banking, uh, and we've seen entrance from the UAE um, into East African markets now. <clears throat> it's certainly on the on, on, on the banking side, uh, so that's another another area. Um, FMCG, uh, again linking to your comments about uh, a, a growing middle class. I think again on the FMCG side, there have been mixed um, responses. Certain countries have done better than others. Uh, because again, the continent is 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 a, is a complicated one. Um, but these are some of the areas that I think uh, we will continue to see a lot of activity in. Uh, you know, come 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 the next few years. And the Gulf investors are they still going to be quite active when it comes to Africa? I think uh, there's again, it's it's a mixed bag. So um, you know, I think from the, as far as the Gulf is concerned, I would say by and large. Uh, there is a cautious view of Africa. So certainly we have seen Gulf investors in East Africa and in West Africa um, in, a, in, a, in, in a number of different fields of, FM, of F, uh, FMCG, um, banking, telecom, of course. But we, do, we know, for example, the telecom investment in Nigeria uh, has gone sour for, for Etisalat. Uh so I think there is a cautious approach. Uh, I suspect that over the years, as bridges are built uh, and people get to know more about the continent, it will continue to grow. I think I, I get the feeling that it's in everybody's mind, um, but it's not the highest priority yet because you probably can get better returns with, with, with a, certainly with a, with a perception of uh, better property rights in, in Southeast Asia, for example, um, or now in the UK because of the value of the pound. Mm -hmm. So um, I think, you know, like, like in many countries, there's limited capital and people are chasing it. Uh, so, so Africa is, is, is probably not getting um, the share that certainly we would like to see from the GCC. Uh, but it is happening. And I think that the interesting point where, we, where, where perhaps people don't realize is that there are indirect investors from the GCC. So basically, um, Investors who are investing in in African funds, um, and they let the you know they let the fund the, the people who run the fund to make the investment. So that you have direct investments, and you have indirect investments. Uh, as I said, people who are basically relying on Africa-focused funds with have speciality uh, in Africa. 
to handle those investments. So you have you have these two types of um, of investors. Um, we're, from, from 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 a government level, certainly we are seeing much more interest from the Gulf. So if you take um, the UAE, uh, Dubai Chamber of Commerce now is opening up um, offices across the continent. They have one in Addis. Uh, they are um, certainly thinking of opening a, a, a branch in Nairobi. Um, when you look at them of embassies that 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 were there two years ago, or you know, say five years ago, and what we have now, many more. Um, the same applies to Saudi. The same applies to Qatar. Um, who are all now um, certainly looking at the continent with much more interest. And when we look at inquiries that we are getting as a law firm, we're certainly finding that um, the interest from the GCC is uh, is growing. Um, there's no avalanche, but it's certainly growing. Atik, um, the reason why we started talking was because um, you were letting me know about the Africa Legal Networks uh, conference coming up in October, which will be looking at Africa investment. It's something your firm is, is very much involved in the organization of. It's the fourth year, and you were telling me that you know it's grown, that it started as sort of something relatively small, and now um, it's a lot bigger, and people are saying, you know, we want to come down and talk and hear and, and sort of discuss what the opportunities are. And are these established Africa investors or are these people uh, predominantly looking at getting in, into different markets for the first time? Uh, again, I think it's, it, it, it's a mixed bag. So what we have found is that um, uh, when, we start, when we did the first conference four years ago, it was a bit of an experiment and uh, the conference ended extremely well. We had about 250 people for the first conference. We're now at about... 450, and we try not to be bigger than that. It's an invite-only conference. And why people enjoy attending this conference is that is that it it you know I think they real they get real hard news from the continent. More business extra in just a moment, but first allow me to tell you about the Nationals other podcasts. Beyond the headlines takes a deeper dive into the biggest news from the week with a distinct Middle East point of view. An extra time from our esteemed sports desk is the best place to chat about the English Premier League and more. Subscribe to both shows as well as this one on iTunes or find us as always at thenational.ae. You're listening to the National's Business Extra podcast from our newsroom in Abu Dhabi. Weekly, we provide insight and additional analysis on the biggest business, economic and finance stories affecting us here as well as the wider region and the world. Today, we are talking about how to invest in Africa. J.C. Deco, the French outdoor advertising group, typically takes a long-term view of investments, given their focus on infrastructure. It is also Africa's largest outdoor advertising company. Martin Sabach, chief executive of J.C. Deco Middle East, explained to me why there's a massive opportunity there and what kind of approach the company is taking to ensure that it can seize it. Um, Martin, as you were saying about Africa expectations are rising, not just in terms of what investors or brands think of Africa, but within Africa itself, um, cities, countries, authorities want their market to be better and more advanced. Um, and you say recently that J.C. Decaux made an investment um, in Africa. Was that the thinking behind that decision? Yeah, for sure. I think the, the, the thinking was that, um, again, you have a fantastic audience. Uh, I read uh, yesterday that by um, uh, 22nd century, 40% of the population will be in Africa. Again, we're selling to our customers an audience. So the audience base is fantastic. And the capacity 
to ad adopt new technologies is very high as well. Um, take a country like Rwanda. I mean, the, it's, it's, it's well known that the, the technology evolution has been very fast because they, they, they're starting from, a, I would say, a cleaner plate. So to some extent, it's easier to adopt the latest technologies and they don't have to go through you know, all the uh, oldest technologies uh, European or, 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 or more developed uh, countries have been through. So that's for us, is fantastic because we can provide our latest technologies to people who are expecting it. And we create a difference. And back to the point about the, the URI market, few people are willing to do so. This being because unlike our competitors, we are family-run business. And, and that family, uh, even though it's a listed business, they will look at you know, where my company is going to be in 30 years more than you know, what happens to my quarterly earnings if I invest now in Africa, well, maybe I'm going to you know, suffer for a couple of years and it's not, the, it's not the best use of my capital. We have capital available and we have that long-term view that perfectly matches the African call. 2011, there was a famous report in The Economist about Africa rising and there was a McKinsey study as well that kind of fed into this idea that Africa was the next big growth area. We're in 2017, almost 2018 now, and it maybe hasn't been the sort of smooth rise that we've we kind of were told it would be um so how important is it for everyone looking at africa not just jc dakota to have these long-term investment horizons 20 years plus well i think it's 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 key um because i mean in my opinion all entrepreneurs are having that long-term view otherwise you can't really uh, you know think about investment uh, so for us it's a no-brainer uh, of course it's not always happening as you planned it to happen, but the long-term trend is definitely there. And the quality of the conversation, again, I'm not in charge of Africa, so I wouldn't completely call for it, but I, from what I understand, uh, the quality of the conversations we're having with the, the leadership in each and every market is clearly what we paid for. This is why we invested in Africa. So it's going to take a bit of time, but you know, our business model took time to roll out in many different, uh, in many different countries. In some countries, we're still not there yet. Take the UAE, for example. It's taking more time that certainly we saw uh, in, in, in 2007 when we started investing there. But we keep investing and we will continue to put more efforts in the UAE. Same in, uh, same in Africa. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi and this is the Business Extra podcast. This week, we're exploring how to successfully invest in Africa as an outside investor. We've already touched upon the idea that there is a growing consumer base in Africa with real spending power. Obviously an exciting opportunity, but as we also heard earlier, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Chris Folayan, founder and CEO of fast-growing e-commerce company Mall for Africa, has taken a unique approach to capitalize on the growing consumer market. Earlier, I asked him what he has discovered about the consumer in markets such as Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, and Rwanda, including what retail hopes and dreams they all have there. Well, in retail terms, their hopes and dreams is basically to be able to buy products without uh, buy products without any barriers. They want to be able to experience e-commerce um, like people in the first world countries like you know as if you were in the US or in the states um, and just simply go online find a product you want be able to do an online transaction easily um, safe and you know get the product um, so I would say access to anything anyone can buy online 
easily at a reasonable price and with the safety parameters that we're all used to. And and you, you've found a formula for success. You're you're now shipping, um, is it one ton a day of goods in into Nigeria? Um, we ship several tons a week. Um, sometimes it's a, it would be equated to a ton in a day, but um, yeah, we're we're definitely at at the tonnage level um, of uh, consistent shipments. And in terms of the middle class, because a lot of people speak about the middle class in Africa, some people say, um, according to f- estimates, that it, it's anyone earning over a dollar a day. Uh, but but that, that seems to me to be a strange way to look at it. I mean, w- what's your definition of the middle class? Because I assume that's the largest chunk of your of your target. Yeah, so we don't define middle class like most people would. Um, the middle class is in our view, somewhat cyclical. Um, it depends on, you know, once when people get paid, how they utilize that money. That's how we somewhat define middle class. I'll give you an example. Uh, people say middle class are people who can afford, you know, excess goods or goods of goods that you know provide them with some kind of pleasure. It could be uh, nice shirts, nice clothes. You know, so people who can afford that on a relatively consistent basis, so they have discretionary spend. Um, and in Africa and Nigeria mostly, you can look at discretionary spend in a cyclical fashion or manner, where someone gets paid, and uh, when they get paid, they spend more and do things that you wouldn't think they should probably do with what with what they earn, but that's that's really what they want to spend money on. So, uh, you know, we don't, we don't use the stuff everybody else uses and says, well, middle class are people that, you know, spend this amount or this much um, on these products or this much on those products because um, it, it's, and, and they earn X amount per month because that's really not the case. You could earn less than what most people would categorize as middle class, but what they're buying every month, you would categorize them as middle class. So it's, uh, I, I think we we have to look at middle class in a different light um, and see what people are really buying and how they're spending money, and not necessarily how much they earn, because uh, I don't think you could... You could really use that um, for the, the equation of how purchases are, are done these days. And so there's, there's definitely an aspiration, uh, a middle-class aspiration, if you like, that's fueling um, you know, your business and other e-commerce players, perhaps. But there are wider macro issues. And, and certainly for Nigeria, for example, like this region in the Arabian Gulf, they've suffered from the, the fall in oil prices in the last few years. It's actually hit the e-commerce sector quite hard. Your rival's harder than you. Um, but how, how much do macro factors come into play, particularly when in Africa, no one market is the same? So Nigeria is having its own issues. Kenya might be doing well. Rwanda might be having its own 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 uh, story going on. So how do you factor that into your business? Well, for our business and the way we do things, uh, we don't. So we don't have uh, stock, and we don't buy in bulk and store items or anything like that. We we are a connector, so we help people. Um, on our platform, buy products from inspirational sites 
like Ralph Lauren or Macy's or if it's a children's store, something like Carter's. Take local currency. We take um, local mobile payments. I'll give you an example for um, you can buy items from Macy's.com with M-Pesa. Mm-hmm. M-Pesa, as you probably know, is a mobile payment um, platform in Kenya. And pe- so people in Kenya can basically pay with M-Pesa, get something on our platform from Macy's. Um, and that's, that's enabling them to, to make that purchase. Uh, we don't have Macy's stock in our warehouse. That's not the way our, our system works. We just enable that transaction. So we don't necessarily have, uh, have anything to do with uh, macro factors or anything like that. We're, we're an enabler. Um, but one thing that we've seen by enabling people to buy products from all over 200 stores, giving them access to over 8 billion items, is the fact that, you know, even though economies are down, we still see people buying products, um, and we see people are still using your 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 terms, which is true. Um, we see people are still aspirational in, in what they buy. You know, people still want to look good, no matter what the economy is like. People still want to know that, you know, that they're, they're dressing well, um, wives are still buying their husband nice nice things to wear, you know. So even with the economy, you know, fluctuating pretty rapidly, uh, you still see sales going up. Um, but um, we, you know, we did see a downturn uh, or a decline in sales when, you know, the currency was going haywire, but uh, as it's stabilized and normalized in the past few months, you know, we're seeing sales gradually go back up to a normal state. But uh, it's it's amazing to always see how the market reacts to, you know, currency fluctuations, and you still see people buying the products that they want, maybe not in the quantities that they were buying, but you still see them buying products. You mentioned M-Pesa. Um, which, as you said, is a mobile payment solution, has done very, very well in Africa. And, and a lot of investors would look at Africa um, and compare it to, say, the Gulf region and say, you know, there isn't that infrastructure there yet. But sometimes that's an advantage. Um, I know that, that your business uh, has to, had, had to innovate on the payment side. You have your own debit cards that consumers can fill and then use to spend on your site. So uh, can that be, how much of that has been an advantage, the fact in Africa that there has been a lack of traditional infrastructure for business? For our, our side, our consumers love our local payment platform. Um, we call it the Mall for Africa web card, and we allow people to literally pay in local currency, um, and load their accounts on our platform and make a purchase. So, for example, in Nigeria, you can go to any Nigerian bank and load your Mall for Africa account with Naira. And lo and behold, you know, by the time you walk out of the bank, um, you notice that your account has the equivalent dollars. So you deposit Naira and you can see dollars on your account. And you can spend that money. Uh, that has been huge uh, on our platform. In fact, most of the sales on our platform are with um, 
with local cash um, using the Mall for Africa web card. And that's, it's, it's been huge for us. So it tells us many things. Uh, it really was put on our platform because we know, um, I'm, I'm a Nigerian myself, born and raised, I'm very proud of it. Um, we know how the Nigerian psyche and mentality works, where nobody wants to put, if they do have a credit card, nobody wants to really put their credit card out there because they're afraid of fraud. And credit cards are, most credit cards are connected to their bank accounts, and mm-hmm. their bank account has all of their, you know, all their money in it. So it, it really works. The U.S. equivalent will be a debit card. So you spend any money, on your Visa, MasterCard, um, it's actually taking money out of your checking or savings account. So the Mall for Africa card um, and all these other mobile payment platforms, um, they don't have full access to that, to your life savings. You don't have to have any kind of anxiety about putting the information out there and making a So we've noticed most people use that as a payment platform. Um, on, on our sites, and they're very comfortable doing it. Um, so, you know, go to your local bank, deposit to Naira, and buy whatever you want from Macy's, and most people zero their account out, and then, you know, go and do another transaction and zero their account out. It's, uh, it, it's an easy way of getting people to make purchases on your platform or on our platform, and it goes one step further in accessing the unbanked, which is something most people don't think about um, in e-commerce. People are all saying, well, everybody, you know, people, too many people assume everybody has a Visa or MasterCard. Um, and we never saw that as a real good way of penetrating the African market because we know that there are so many people who, you know, are, are unbanked, um, taxi drivers, um, many of them are on bank. They don't have bank accounts, but they still want to look good. They still have, you know, aspirations to buy products. They still want to know that they're buying things that are original. And if they're on bank, how do they do it if they don't have a Visa or MasterCard? Um, you know, use a platform like a Mall for Africa web card to make, to make a purchase. And lo and behold, you know, even though you don't have a bank account, you can buy stuff from Macy's. Um, or Nordstrom's, and the list goes on and on. You're you're about to launch, or you've launched um, Mall for the World, which is a, a similar concept to Mall for Africa, but aimed at the Middle East. Um, and you know, one of the barriers for e-commerce in this region has been, you know, the large the large mass of the unbanked or those that that maybe are similar to the the in 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 appearance to the middle class in Africa. I mean, how much of what you're learning in Africa can you bring to the market here? Yeah, so we plan on bringing as much as we've learned. We we think that um, there are a lot of similarities between the African markets and the GCC. Um, they're not just the Mall for Africa web card um, type scenario where you can deposit funds local currency in a local bank and make purchases. Um, also in, you know, how how we advertise, how we reach customers, the kinds of products um, we sell um, to customers, and, and knowing that, you know, local, having local support 
uh, is also something that's that's key because these are things that we've we've learned over time to be key wherever we open up uh, or wherever we launch our product. Um, we've noticed we've noticed these are key attributes in being very successful. So um, local payments, local customer support, um, identifying your your products. Um, or identifying the stores for that um, market set, um, and knowing how you're going to be doing local advertising. Those have been key in our success from market to market, and they're different um, from market to market, but there are also a lot of similarities um, that we we know, you know, would make us successful as we go from the mall for Africa and African concepts to mall for the world, you know, and by launching into DCC. So we're we're taking all that we've learned and putting it to to good use and, and it's working. This has been our guide on how to invest in Africa. I hope you've enjoyed it. Remember for fuller coverage you can also read, watch and listen on www.thenational.ae. Thank you all for listening. Subscribe to this and our other shows on iTunes. I am Mustafa Al-Rawi. Join us again next week.